to be here and share with you this evening. Uh, prayer is an important part of our life, is it not? It should be. I believe that prayer is one of the most abused situations we have on our hands today because we claim to be busy folks. We have so much to do and we say our prayers pretty quick and out the door we go. I, uh, I must confess I'm not always doing as good as I should. This subject spoke to my heart and I think it's very important that we take note. It's something that we need so vitally in our lives. The subject is prayer, my vital breath. And when we think about the uh, prayer, I think of the perfect prayer or the complete prayer, and that's what's our text this evening. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, we want to consider 9 through 13, verses 9 through 13. I'm going to read them at this time. After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this evening realizing the greatness of your uh, person and your being. And dear God, as we consider this subject tonight on prayer, we pray for your guidance and direction. Minister into our lives. Help us, Lord, to make our prayer life a very high priority. We thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness, and you want to hear from us. So, Lord, help us in this area of prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, prayer, my vital breath. And as we think about the Lord's Prayer here, there's just one thing I think about, is that this prayer, when you say this prayer, it's a complete prayer in speaking of your life, not so much maybe a prayer that you're talking to God to ask him for all his goodness to be upon you, but it's a prayer that you want God to fulfill your earthly life here. And it's a complete prayer in that way. So as we consider that, we want to look at six different things that I believe apply to prayer in my life. We call it prayer, my vital breath. That is our subject. And the word breath is by definition, the air inhaled and expelled in respiration by humans and animals. Now, that's a pretty simple thought. But did you ever think about something? Will we breathe? This is a point for you to ponder. Will we breathe when we get to heaven? Do you ever think about that? Are you going to breathe when you're there? I, I want to believe maybe not. I don't know. But when we speak... We exhale air to make our words come forth. You think about that because if you really talk a lot and you really exert yourself, all of a sudden you got to take a breath so you can get the next round. And it's through breathing that we speak. And I don't know, I don't believe we'll have to uh, breathe in heaven. I really don't. 
But anyway, we're supposed to be singing and shouting, praising God. How are we going to do that? I don't know. But right now, as we live here, we've got to consider the fact that we have a God we're serving. We need to talk to God whenever we have opportunity. And uh, all that fits into this subject this evening. Well, as we think about that, the last breath we breathe will be the conclusion to our life here on earth. Then you won't need no vital breath no more, but it'll be your finished, completed life while you are physically here. And the definition for vital, we talk about my vital breath, the definition for that word, vital, is pertaining and contributing to life, necessary to life, being the very seed of life, that on which life depends, and it's absolutely necessary. Now, as we think about that, the vital breath of prayer, we want to think about six things tonight, personal in prayer and practical in prayer, perpetual in prayer, persistent in prayer, praising in prayer, and then the last one is posture in prayer. Let's think about personal in prayer. Let's just look on our Bibles in chapter 6, going back just up there, just about three or four verses, verses 5 and 6, where the Bible says, and we're thinking about personal prayer now, and this is also, we're going to talk a little about collective prayer, but your personal prayer life is what connects you to God. And here the Bible says, in verse 5, and when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. I'll leave off reading there. But thinking about the idea of personal prayer life, it says you should, it even gives you a way to set the precedent for how you shall pray and where you shall pray. And it says, enter into your closet. I don't know, you have closed closets, don't you? Some of us have big closets to hold all our things. Some have small closets. But it says, enter into that closet. Well, this word closet doesn't just mean a, a closed closet. This me is a closet it's your prayer uh, ritual room that you use to pray to God. It can be in your bedroom. It can be wherever it is. But God does want a personal connection with you. He wants you to come to him and talk with him alone. He doesn't always want you to uh, be amongst people to pray, but he wants you to have a personal relationship with him. You know, that's why God made us. He wanted to have somebody he could socialize with and relate with and have a good relationship with. And therefore, God being a spirit, as the Bible says in John 8, it says God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So God isn't a physical being like us, but he has a spirit. So we, being made of body, soul, and spirit, have a spirit that connects to God. And that spirit is what God loves to communicate with in the social way that we talk to God. And it's like you and I talking to each other. I talk to Leonard or I talk to Leon or whoever. It doesn't matter. We can see each other. We can relate together and talk back and forth and communicate. 
But somehow, in our spiritual life with God, it seems like we have almost like a one-way street, doesn't it? I mean, you talk to God and you can holler as loud as you want, but God does not socially communicate with you and talk to you as we would talk to each other. And yet at the same time, there is a part of our soul, which we call the soul in us, that makes that connection as we spiritually seek God and pray to him. So personal prayer is very important. God wants to get very personal with us. And uh, God knows best, and I don't. He always knows better what I need, and yet I come to him in prayer. And as we consider that thought, when we think about God being in control, God answers to no one, dear people. God doesn't answer to no one. God is God, and he will always be God. So therefore, we are the ones that become recipients of sharing with God in such a way that we commit our lives to him in our prayer life. And unless we can find our way in that, we have a dull prayer life. But thinking about that, um, also, we want to consider the fact of what it means to pray as we do. You know, the, the Bible, when the disciples were talking to Jesus, they said, teach us to pray. They didn't say, teach us how to pray, but they said, teach us to pray. And maybe sometimes in our lives, we'd better decide when we will find the right time to pray to God. That becomes so vital, and it's a real link to the heavenly kingdom. Let's think about also the idea of uh, collective prayer. God does not only want us to pray personally. You, you, you see, when, when we talk to God personally, we're meeting on a vertical level. When we publicly worship, we are meeting on a horizontal level. Horizontal level. Let's go to uh, Hebrews chapter 10. And this is the one verse I believe we can bank on that is important for us to practice in our lives. And as we uh, collect together to worship, this here is what the Bible tells us about our prayer life. Here in chapter 10 of uh, Hebrews, what do we call the book of Hebrews? What is the book of Hebrews? Faith chapter. Faith chapter. Well, that's chapter 11 in Hebrews. That's chapter 11. But what do we call the complete book of Hebrews? The book of better things. What do we call Revelation? Okay, yeah, a lot of end times there. But we have a term we use for that one too. And that's the book of future things. Often we think about that. This is just a few things about our, our lives that are very important. But look at Hebrews chapter 10 here. Let us start reading at verse 23, or I'm sorry, 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, 
not forsaking, notice, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but so, exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, when it says see the day approaching, what for day is approaching us? Well, folks, I believe that it's very imperative that you and I recognize the fact of what's happening in the future times here, what's happening in the present, what has happened in the past, and what's happening here right now as we live our lives. But we gotta think into the future. And I believe that's what it's talking about as you see those days approaching. And with all of it going on, with the war going over there and the COVID thing that all happened, I don't know what it's done for you, but it's got me to think a little different. And I don't even care to talk about it anymore. I hope it just moves on and we get on with life. But we must consider the fact that things that happen in our lives in the past and what we deal with in the present as we seek God to find our future direction because you know, as I know, who knows the future. It is God alone. God alone knows the future. And that is my only real, solid connection to knowing what the future holds for me. So I seek God in my life. I pray to God and I earnestly seek his face. And do we believe tonight that God is in the business of answering prayer? We must believe that, dear people. We must believe that God will hear us and understand what our needs are. I know sometimes it feels like you're praying up against the ceiling and it feels like your prayers don't go farther than the ceiling. But folks, that don't mean you stop praying. That means you pray maybe harder and get through the ceiling. Personal prayer life and, and also collective prayer life. And here it encourages us to be watching and waiting for him to return. And as we see the days approaching, I believe that's exactly what it means. It means that as things get worse, as things become dim, I remember Martin Weber always said, the dimmer the picture and the future's looking in this world, the brighter our future is becoming as Christians. And dear people, that's where we want to end up in the end result anyway. So that's what we're watching for as you see the days approaching. Let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ. Let's consider uh, the second point. <clears throat> practical in our prayer life. Practical means capable of reducing knowledge or theories to actual use, educated by practice or experience. And thinking about that, I'd like to go back to where we had read the uh, Lord's Prayer there in Matthew chapter 6 and consider a few verses just before that. Matthew chapter 6 Verses 7 and 8, the Bible says, when you pray, or but when you pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Be not ye therefore like unto them, for your Father knoweth what things you have need of before you ask him. He already understands what we need. If you go into verse, or if you look at verse 32 in the same chapter, the Bible also says, For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all these things. 
Now what makes it, God, you, you know, sometimes we get in trouble a little bit. We think that because God understands and knows everything, what's the use of even praying? He knows. Do you think you can move the doors of heaven? Do you really believe that in your prayer life? Or do you think God just, he's up there somewhere, but he's somewhat silent and he doesn't always, well, let's go to 1 Peter. What's God's telephone number? Who knows God's telephone number? Do any of you? 33. What is it? Do you know the verse? Folks, that's another thing I want to challenge us to is meditate on scripture and memorize it. Do you know how the do you know how being do you know how these salespeople are effective in getting your attention to call them on the phone? What do they do? Do you ever notice something? You you watch once if this is not the way it works. They're, they'll start advertising something and they'll start giving their phone number and they'll mention their phone number at least three times. Do you ever notice that? Maybe four, maybe six, but they repeat and repeat. Repetition is what catches your mind and sticks to your brain. Anyway, getting back to it. <laughs> okay, call unto me and I will answer thee and show thy great and mighty things. Wow. God has no texting system. He has no voicemail. He has no holding us. He doesn't hold, put his phone on hold. But you know, God always has personal time for you. So you can't sometime in a couple weeks go to God if you didn't pray for a while and say, well, God, your, your voice box was full. I couldn't get through. Or call waiting. I believe you're on the phone with everyone else. I couldn't get through. No, no. We never have an excuse before God that he couldn't answer us when we wanted to talk to him. So I'm the guilty guy. When I don't get my praying done, God, let's see what 1 Peter chapter 3 says. 1 Peter chapter 3. Verses 12 to 15. I, I think what we have trouble comprehending sometimes in our spiritual lives is that this great big God we know about and have heard about, is he really what we think he is? Do you, do you ever wonder that in your mind, how, how this God you serve how he is and is functioning. But it's interesting to me how much interest he has in, in our lives. Let's see what 1 Peter 3, 12 says here. Notice, for the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous. God is watching over us. Notice that? And his ears are open unto their prayers. Now there's a confirmation his ears. Can you imagine God in heaven? And he's there, and uh, probably like this, and his ears are open to our cry. He's giving his ear to us and listening. Huh, that poor child of mine that didn't pray today again. Oh, 
that he wants our attention. Well, and then he says further, but the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. That's interesting. Those that turn their faces from God and don't worship him as they should. Sad. Well, practical in prayer. Uh, Let's think a little bit about this verse 15. It says, well, we didn't read 14, but, and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are you and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be ready always to uh, give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. We are to have a relationship with God that he wants to speak through our lives and minister to us. And there's nothing that God loves more than a challenge. Did you ever get? Did you ever pray to God and then uh, somehow you just say, God, I, I'm very desperate in it. Well, we'll get into that. And I better hold that for petitioning. But thinking one more uh, point about this idea of practical in prayer, in uh, Colossians chapter 4, Verses 3 to 6. I'd like to go there quickly. You don't have to follow me with all these if you don't want to, but uh, we're going to be jumping around here a little bit. It's up to you. But anyway, the Bible says here, with all praying also for us that God would open unto us a door of utterance to speak the mystery of Christ. For which I am also in bonds, that I may make it manifest as I ought to speak, and then walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. Let's catch the next verse. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Now, how do we become this kind of person? We become this kind of person in staying in commune with God and understanding his will. And I'm convinced that our prayer life connected with God is something that is going to give us the understanding and the wisdom we need daily to know how to speak and operate and function our life with people. Sometimes I believe we separate the idea of prayer from what God wants to speak to us and use us in ways that he would use us in a greater dimension if only we prayed for that, for his help and guidance. Well, anyway, um, I'd like to read you a little clipping here, thinking about the idea of knowing what to speak at the right time. And in Luke chapter 12, verse 12, it talks about what are you going to say when you become, when you come in front of the magistrates or the, uh, whoever the person might be in the government system. But it says, this is titled A Wise Answer. And a young woman in Scotland in the days of persecution in that land, one Lord's Day was on her way to a place of worship. And this, this is the idea where uh, knowing what to say at the right time, this is what we're thinking about here. A pla- she was on her way to a place of worship when she was met by a company of hostile cavalry. 
and required by its commander to make known her destination. At this crisis, this promise presented itself to her mind, namely, it shall be given you at that hour what you ought to answer. And she put up a silent prayer that the Spirit of God would put the right words into her mouth. In a moment, these words suggested themselves, and she uttered them as suggested. I am going to my father's house. My elder brother has died. He, his will is to be read today, and I have an interest in it. The commander bid her go on her way, expressing the hope that she would find a rich portion left to herself. <laughs> Isn't that pretty neat? How that God will give you the right words to speak at the right moment. But do you think we'll receive that if we're not connected? We need to be connected, practical in prayer. Perpetual, let's think about perpetual prayer. You know, First, uh, first Thessalonians 5, 17 tells us that we should pray without ceasing. And that would be having a mind of, uh, or an attitude of prayer. Well, there was once an older lady, uh, through, uh, she said, as she was talking to her pastor, she was one of her, his parishioners, she says to him, oh, he said how, how she's doing in life and how's your prayer life? And uh, you're reading your Bible. And oh, yes, yeah, she said, I read my Bible. Every day, every day. And she, he said, do you, do you find time to pray? Oh, pastor, I pray all the, I pray a lot of times. But she said, you know what? I really need to, uh, the time I really need God's help and protection and closeness to me is when I sleep because I don't know what I'm doing then. So she, she didn't pray then, but she prayed through the day. But she didn't uh, feel that it was always necessary to be praying, I guess. So she was kind of caught in a, a place of such interest. But here's another clipping that I have about an, uh, talking about perpetual prayer. That when the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5, 17, always being praying, praying without ceasing. And this subject came up with this group of uh, ministers that were together for a meeting. And it says, I'll read it verbatim what it says. A number of ministers were assembled for the discussion of difficult questions. And among others, it was asked how the, to, how the command to pray without ceasing would be complied with. Various suppositions were stated. And at length, one of the number was appointed to write an essay upon it to be read at the next meeting, which being overheard by a female servant, she exclaimed, What? A whole month waiting to tell the meaning of that text. It is one of the easiest and best texts in the Bible. Well, well, said an old minister. Mary, what can you say about it? Let us know how you understand it. Can you pray all the time? Oh, yes, sir, she said. What? When you have so much to do, why, sir, the more I have to do, the more I can pray. What? That doesn't make sense. He said, tell me. What do you, how do you do make all this happen? Why, sir, she said, the more I have to do, the more I can pray. Indeed, well, Mary, do let us know then. How is it? For most think otherwise. Well, sir, said the girl, when I first opened my eyes in the morning, I prayed, Lord, 
Open the eyes of my understanding, and while I am dressing, I pray that I may be clothed with the, with the robe of righteousness. And when, I and when I have washed me, I ask for the washing of regeneration. And as I begin to work, I pray that I may have strength equal to my day. When I begin to kindle up the fire, I pray that my heart may be cleansed from all my impurities. And while preparing and partaking of breakfast, I desire to be fed with the hidden manna and the sincere milk of the word. And, I, and as I am busy with the little children, I look up to God as my father and pray for the spirit of adoption that I may be his child and so on all day. Everything I do furnishes me, furnishes me with a thought for prayer. Enough, enough, cried the old divine. These things are revealed, will, they are revealed to babes and often hid from the wise and prudent. Go on, Mary, said he, pray without ceasing. And as for us, my brethren, let us bless the Lord for this exposition and remember that he has said, the meek he will guide in judgment. After this little event, the essay was not considered necessary. If we pray for the Lord to fill our, our cups, may, may it be for the purpose of letting someone else share the blessing with us, a selfish prayer is lost in the air. Pray without ceasing. Do we have a sense in our lives of connect, disconnecting ourselves from our prayer life to such an extent that we do our quick prayers or whenever we do pray and then we disconnect ourselves for the rest of the day just go about our day. If we could have a heart like Mary had there, well, we would be praying and we'd be praying and we'd be praying some more. Pray without ceasing, as the Bible says. Perpetual in prayer. Well, anyway, let's consider point number four, persistent in prayer. And uh, this, is, this is one I sometimes feel that we uh, neglect in staying persistent in our prayer and just praying through. I'm, and it, it means so much to God when we challenge him with his ways of working in our lives. And I think about this. Now, all of you remember, and I use this as an illustration, and I don't know if God sees it this way or not, but the spiritual realm out there, we can't see that. We don't know how that is. But what about all the angels that are around and God and, and the, the devil with all of his workers and angels you know that when the devil was kicked out of heaven the bible tells us a third of the angels went with him so i don't know where they're all busy what they're all doing but maybe if we could see the spiritual realm it'd be something else but i had to think this idea of being persistent in prayer persistent the word persistent actually means steady continuance in a counts a course in perseverance often in evil. And I had to think of the, the Haiti hostage situation. You remember what happened there. And can you imagine God having permitted something like that happen? But you know what? I wonder sometimes 
if a little bit of tests and trials often makes God's people pray just a little more. I want, with you, I want you to, with me, think about how maybe what was taking place in heaven. God permitted this to happen. Can you imagine, with me, how many people, thousands of people that knew about this and the urgency of the message, the urgency for prayer, for God to move in a mighty way for a miraculous deliverance. Do you ever stop to think about that? Maybe God is up there in heaven. He says, my children have it so well. They just don't pray the way and talk to me like I'd like them to. So I'm going to give them a situation where they will be challenged in their hearts and where the urgency of the message in prayer, they'll start pursuing me. Can God be that way? I believe he could. He can get something going on in life around us that is going to challenge us into a more persistent, urgent prayer life. And I can imagine God's up there now as this situation happened and then people were uh, taken hostage and taken away and nobody knew where they got to for a while. The urgency of prayer was real at that point. And I'm wondering if God's there. Wow, I got their attention. Look at them all praying to me. The Bible talks about the, the, the prayers of the saints rise up to God as a sweet-smelling savor. Can we comprehend that thought? God loves to communicate with us, and so often we think it's just, well... It might happen. But in that situation, all them people that were praying all that time, God was being, can we say telephoned? He was being called and was wanting his people to minister to him. The urgency of the prayers of the people. I'd like to go to Luke chapter 18. There's a, uh, a parable there of a a woman that talked to the judge. I, I'm sure you're familiar with this. Luke 18, verses 1 to 8. The Bible says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end. And this is in relation to our, our, our point right here, persistent in prayer. Parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. You notice they were challenged again about our prayer life. Then it goes on and explains the parable. Verse 2, there was saying, there was a, in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. But afterward he said within himself, I, Though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continually coming she weary me. <laughs> Do you notice that? Can you, can you with me picture this parable, how this judge 
was a very hardcore judge, a very hard guy to deal with. But it was her persistence, her urgency, petitioning this guy and telling him she wants avenged of her adversary. And he said, after a while, in verse 4, he didn't even fear God. He didn't regard men. But here this lady comes to me, oh, judge, let's go. What's the problem? Do something for me. And she kept going to him. And finally, he said, he better do something and avenge her of her adversary or she'll just keep coming. I'll get so tired of this. I'll just get so tired of it. So he helped her. Then they explained the parable. The Lord said, hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man cometh, shall he find faith on the earth. <clears throat> uh, God is a God. I don't know if you ever gave God any kind of challenge that you wanted him to answer. Or maybe you were real urgent sometime in petitioning him in persistency. And maybe you heard me share this before. I don't know if I ever shared it with you or not, but I had a personal experience of where I was just a little guy about five years old, and when I was at home on the farm, we had a, a large meadow that went way out went with the cows. We, the, the meadow went way out and up around the back and it had a, like a U and way up on a hill. And my dad did that because he put the fence in there. He did that because the fields were in between there that were flat. But he wanted to meadow off that hill, so he took the fence like this and up the back and up around. Well, one time there were some guys who used to come down there to um, hunt from Pottsville. And there was a guy by the name of Big John. And they always brought us some stuff, different clothings and everything else. And as time went on... As he came there and we were talking there, he got me to do something for him. I was about a five, six-year-old little chap. And as he did that, he, I, I did what he wanted me to do and everything else, and he handed me some money for doing it, a gift. And folks, it was a $5 bill. When I was five years old, you guys uh, probably don't wink so much at a $20 bill, but because of inflation. But I was, I was a little guy and I got a $5 bill. And I mean to tell you, that $5 bill was really something. I felt like the richest guy on the earth. And I stuck this thing in my shirt pocket and I was, I'd get it out and look at it every so often. And I thought, this is the greatest thing since ever, you know? And uh, as I uh, kept watching this dollar bill, I, $5 bill, I looked at it again, and I made sure I had it in my pocket and everything else. But sort of as the day wore on, I, I forgot about it a little bit. And I went out to get the cows. And I had to go way out, up, up to uh, the hill, and bring the cows down. And I did. And when I was coming down the hill and down through the flat, 
I was just uh, coming in the home stretch there, way out at the end, and all of a sudden, oh yes, my $5 bill. I reached in my pocket. My $5 bill was gone. I tell you what, folks, I was heartbroken. And I'll never forget it. But you know what? Right there, there was, you know how the cows walk a path? Right there, when I saw I lost my $5 bill, I just got on my knees before God and I cried like a baby. I said, oh Lord, just show me where my $5 bill is. I need my $5 bill. And I cried and I prayed. And uh, finally I just quit. I knew it was no use. You know what? I opened my eyes. They're on my knees. And right there in the grass laid my $5 bill. Do you think God prompted me to stop and look for my $5 bill at the time that he had laid it there? I don't know if he took it out of my pocket and wanted to see if I'd pray for it or not. But I'll tell you what, I was persistent. I was like this lady judging here. And I wanted my $5 bill and God granted that wish. And that was such a blessed experience. I never forgot that. Well, let's look at the uh, point number five. Praising in prayer. Uh, Psalms is full of prayer suggestions in Psalm 34 and all those uh, different Psalms. But Psalm 65 is kind of a special one, thinking about this. Um, I want to look at verses 1 and 2. In Psalm 65, it says, Praise waiteth for thee, O God, in Zion, and unto thee shall the vow be performed. O that thou hearest prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. Praising God and praising God more and more. In verses 48.1, in chapter 48, or Psalm 48.1, they always say you don't call Psalms chapters. Did you ever hear that? Psalm uh, 48.1, Great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of his holiness. And Psalm 34, Psalm, there's one, verses 1 and verses 4, 17 and 18. Just talk about praise to the Lord continually and continually. And God wants us to come to him with a heart of wanting him to minister to us. And one of the greatest things I can challenge to you or leave as a challenge is for you to increase your faith. You check, you test God sometime and see if he can answer your prayers. I could tell you a a number of things, not that he was just doing it for me, but because I believe it was the persistency that I used and then the praise added to it afterwards. Do we always praise God? But there's many things that you lost things and, and God knows our heart. And the Bible says if the reason we don't get our prayer requests answered is because sometimes we ask selfishly. Well, maybe sometimes I did ask selfishly, and I didn't always get my prayers answered. But a lot of times I was so surprised how God came through. A beautiful experience. Well, the last one is uh, posture in prayer. And the definition for that is, a position of the several parts of the body with respect to a person or each other. Um, 
I'd like to go to Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. He will ring a buzzer, won't he? he... Okay. Luke chapter 8. I'm sorry, Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, verses 9 to 14. Here the Bible says, And he spake the, this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised the others. Two men went up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as his publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes to all of all that I possess. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up his so much as his eyes toward heaven, unto heaven, but smote his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Now the question is asked here in verse 14 by our Lord. He says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. This parable speaks about the idea of how a man approaches the throne of grace when he prays. It was the posture of his way. It says, tells us the Pharisee was standing there, but this man wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven. He was so taken and given to himself of wanting God to pursue his life, or he wanted God to pursue his life and wanted to be forgiven of his wrongdoings, and his spirit was in such a place that God spoke to him. And God just wants us to come to him in a way of humble prayer. I'll never forget, I was going north, or, or uh, sorry, east on uh, the interstate, the toll road 90 through New York, and I was coming up to a rest area and I was gonna stop in. And as I approached the rest area on the entrance ramp, I noticed some guy in the grass on the entrance ramp side over here toward the road, toward the interstate, and I saw him in the grass and I thought, what's wrong with that person? I, I saw him way at a distance. I didn't know what was going on. But he was there in the grass and he was down and he was going back and forth and carrying on. And I thought, hold it. I, I, as I got closer, I realized what was going on. Here was a, an Arab, a Muslim. He was on a carpet out there in the grass praying to his God and he was going back and forth, back and forth, put his head down in the ground, and he was praying out. He put his hands up, and I, I thought, wow, what a testimony that guy had, not praying to the right God, the right source, and yet he was so dedicated. How many of us ever did that? Out in the public somewhere, sat in the grass and prayed. I, I was, it was a challenge to me on my side of the fence, of where I need to be as one of God's children to pray for what my Lord did for me. Well, as we think about all that, I'd like to uh, go to one more place in the scriptures in 1 Kings chapter 8. 1 Kings chapter 8.
You know, as I prepared for this subject, God spoke to my heart about something, and I'll talk about it here as we uh, uh, look at this portion of scripture. 1 Kings chapter 8, and verses uh, 22 and then 54. Here in verse, uh, or chapter 8, verse 22, the Bible, this is when the dedication of the temple took place. And here in, in uh, verse 22, the Bible says, and as Solomon, it was the dedication of the temple, and Solomon had built the temple, and they were praying, the whole congregation was there. They were having church. It says all the congregation was there. And, they spread, and he spread forth his hands toward heaven. He said, Lord God of Israel, there is no God like thee in heaven above or in the earth. And who keeps his covenants and mercy with thy servants that walk before thee. And he, he just gave it that whole prayer. And what I found interesting, and then as he got close to the end of his prayer, here in verse 54, if you look at that verse, the Bible says as he closed, and it was so that when Solomon had made an end of praying, all this prayer and supplication unto the Lord he arose from before the altar of the Lord. And do you notice what it says? From kneeling on his knees. From kneeling on his knees. And his hands spread up to heaven. And he stood and blessed all the congregation of Israel with a loud voice saying. So I'm not sure if he prayed on his knees through his whole prayer before his people as their minister or whatever you want to call Solomon at that time. I know he was king, but he prayed on his knees. And the challenge that came to me and the thought I thought about uh, is what, what has happened in our churches that we don't kneel for prayer so much anymore? I don't know if you do here or not, but I, I had to think about that. And I want to leave that as a challenge. You know, there's something about getting on our knees before God when we pray I'm sure most of us personally, when we pray before God, we get on our knees. I don't believe we stand there and just look to heaven, but I believe we bow our heads, pray, and get on our knees. Well, where have we gone with getting on our knees in our congregational prayers? And I want to leave that as a challenge. And the reason I say a lot of that is because there was a church in town that had one day been at Willow Street where we are in church, they made a decision about 30 years after they were churched that they were no longer going to repeat the Lord's Prayer after their prayers and they were no longer going to kneel for prayer. I don't know what caused that. I, I don't know. But why are we not kneeling in our churches to pray? Posture in praying. I think God is concerned about us. But, you know, we can, we can also be maybe not pray, kneeling to pray and yet, or we can be kneeling to pray and yet maybe we're not kneeling in our heart. So that can be this way or that way, but it's food for thought. God bless you as you uh, think about your vital breath being prayer and uh, pursue God with all your heart and live for him. God bless you.